0: Well, Harvest, let's continue our worship together, opening your Bibles. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, actually, chapter 1. Let's uh, begin our time with a little bit of a a five-minute review, what we've covered so far up through chapter 5. And if you forgot your Bible, don't have a Bible with you. We want to encourage you to bring a Bible. We're big about the Bible around here. Uh, Have it open on your lap. There's one in the back of the seats there. If uh, you want to borrow one of those uh, for Our time here. I believe we're on uh, page uh, 137, uh, 136, 137 in that, Mark chapter 1. Let let me do a review here. Mark chapter 1, you can take a look, scan down as I'm hitting here. We had talked a couple months ago actually about how the players are on the table. Mark doesn't start out with the birth of Christ. He's just like, let's get after talking about uh, Christ in his ministry. And so that's where we jump in and the players are on the table. We see John appears, proclaiming, proclaiming that the Messiah is about to be coming. Uh, The people are all coming out to John uh, in droves in the desert. Jesus enters on the screen, coming out to John to be baptized. Uh, God the Father shows up at the baptism and declares his Uh, thrill his pleasure his joy over the work of the son and over the son the spirit shows up there as well and also the text tells us that the spirit drives jesus out into the desert Uh, jesus is out there satan shows up And Satan does what he typically tries to do is deceive and connive and sideswipe. And that's what he seeks to do. But he's on the playing field. The angels are there ministering to Christ during this time. I mean, all the players are there. They're all in one spot. John, the people, Jesus, the father, the son, the spirit, Satan, and the angels all up and going. Then we find Jesus begins calling some specific individuals. Just, hey, come on, follow me, follow me, trek along. And then he takes us on some demons face to face, and he heals uh, people, showing that uh, he's making uh, God-like, Messiah-like acts, and he is making Messiah-like purposes uh, with what's going on with his mission. We see in verse 28, something that's very important to understand here in all of this is that his fame is spreading everywhere. That's kind of the, the source uh, undergirding everything. Whole cities are gathering to him. You can see in verse 45, chapter 1, it says people were coming from every quarter to check him out. And I think if I were to summarize it all, and I'd summarize so many of these first chapters, you look at verse 27 and it says three words, all were amazed. That's the setting. That's the feel of what's happening all we're amazed. Then Mark chapter 2, it's kind of like, let's begin, uh, let the games begin. Uh, Jesus heals a paralytic that's lowered down through the roof. Very cool situation there. Then the critics are showing up. The scribes and the Pharisees want to take Jesus on. And uh, I, good luck, guys, with that one. And uh, they're trying to manipulate him and set him up. And uh, Jesus got fully covered. Uh, no problem uh, with all of that. But I'll note in verse 12, even in chapter 2, it says, All were amazed. Again, this is an undergirding truth and sense of what's happening and going on. Mark chapter 3, you can turn there. and Mark 3, the teams form and the words are flying. Uh, the Pharisees, uh, they're now conniving not just how to like annoy Jesus, but the text tells us they're conniving how to destroy Jesus with what's going on. The, the lines has been drawn and the sides are playing and then Jesus selects his team uh, 12 guys and he says "Uh, guys I want you to be with me Uh, be with me so that I can send you out and so that I can send you out with authority so there's a purpose and a plan and a training that's going on Uh, verse 21 add to all this going on verse 21 it says that his family says that he's out of his mind now it's one thing when other people say you're out of your mind. It's a whole nother thing when your family says you're out of your mind. I don't know, maybe you've had, I've had my brothers or whatever, at times when we're picking on each other say that, like, you're out of your mind. And uh, we're like, yeah, you too. You know, I mean, that's just kind of what goes on. But this is not the good kind of out of your mind. Okay, this is, uh, you are insane. What's going on? Then verse 22, chapter 3, it says, the scribes say to Jesus, hey, you're, you're possessed by Beelzebub. In other words, Jesus is possessed by a demon. Boy, when you put that with Colossians 1 and he's the creator of all things, boy, um, guys, you better zip your lip there, scribes and what you're talking about. So that's what's going on there. Everyone's amazed. Mark chapter 4. We see the beginning of Mark chapter 4. Jesus teaches. This is really important for today. Uh, Jesus is a first major teaching event, if you will. Uh, He's teaching about the soils, about what real faith looks like. How many soils are there? four soils. Jesus is showing how the first three soils are what real faith does not look like. But real faith looks like the fourth soil. And he describes the fourth soil as a person is a soil. It's rich soil. And and the word, the seed, Jesus Christ drops in the soil, pulls the seed in and and puts in its nutrients and the water and everything that the soil is, it puts into the seed. And that's what uh, following Jesus Christ in faith looks like and then that seed christ begins to grow and permeate every aspect and growth takes time growth never stops and the roots of christ are reaching into every area of our life over time and yet that's kind of the ground part but then out of that there's there's growth happening and fruit happening and and again people as we talked about with that people don't come and they don't go look at that awesome dirt Uh, they come and they look at it they go look at that awesome tree the fruit that it's producing. Look at what Christ is producing out of us. Uh, That's the fourth soil. And then after the teaching comes four events... The first one is the storm, end of chapter 4. They're crossing from the northwest side. Jesus says, let's go down, actually, to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they get in, and the storm hits, and they think they're going to die. And they tell Jesus, don't you care, because he's asleep in the boat while this is happening. And and Jesus gets up, and he calms the sea, and he, he calms the wind. He speaks to them, and they stop. And in it all, they are reminded who he is. Listen, friends, we are about to enter, we are entering four stories that talk about the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And in this first one, it's the authority over all of creation. When he speaks, creation responds. And in that boat, we had uh, these guys talking to each other, basically going, who is this? And that's the right question. That's the right question. And Jesus in it, as he talks and addresses them, a theme that goes throughout these four events, he says, hey guys, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? And Jesus had just been talking about that earlier in the day. Where's your faith? Well, that was story number one. Then uh, event number two is last Sunday, the demon-possessed man, uh, beginning of chapter 5. Jesus, they come down to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, get out of the boat. There's a demon-possessed man, and it just shows Jesus has authority over demons, over thousands of demons, as we saw in the text, remember? And he gets out, and he casts the demons out into the pigs, and a million dollars jumps off the cliff, literally, as we talked last Sunday about all that. Listen, friends, who can do that? Who can do that? And that's what Mark is showing here, the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Well, today we have two more events. We're going to wrap up these four. So how many events today? How many? Okay, let's get at them. God, I pray as we dig into your word that you would show yourself amazing as you are. Help us to walk out of this room this morning more amazed with you, more seeing you bigger than we when we came in today. Show us you, Lord, just more of you. That's what we ask. More of you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, here we go. How many events left? Two. All right, verse 21. Let's start with the first event. Verse 21, chapter five. There? All right. And when Jesus had crossed again on the boat to the other side, in other words, they had gone down to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, a crowd gathered. What kind of a crowd? A great crowd, a large crowd. Mark is always helping us understand the scene because the scene, the events of the scene and the surrounding of the scene are really important. A great crowd gathered about him as he was beside the sea and then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Let's pause there. Let's kind of get some of this set. A couple things. They were on the northwest bank of the Sea of Galilee. They're now on the southeast bank of the Sea of Galilee. The northwest portion of the Sea of Galilee was a... was the Jewish territory. The southeast portion of the uh, Sea of Galilee was Gentile territory. They are now back north. They are now back in Jewish territory. That's important for what's later. Probably likely in Capernaum here up in that area. Capernaum was kind of Jesus' base uh, where he was at. Jairus, the text tells us this guy, he's one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, one of the rulers, it sounds like he was probably like a a full-time... you know, priest or something like that. It's not the case at all. Understand? There's the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem. That's where the sacrifices took place. Synagogues were spread all over the territory and cities. We could say the synagogues were like local churches. And so, uh, Jairus here is likely not a vocational pastor. He's not likely full time. He's he's a, a, a lay person and he's serving. He's not the chief. Chief official over, but the terminology, terminology that's being used, he's being described really as a lay elder. He's serving, he's, Mark's putting it in here that we understand this. He's a prominent guy in this community. Okay, he's an important person in this community. And, and that's important because we're going to meet someone uh, here in just a minute who's not prominent in the community. Known, but not prominent. So we start out with this prominent guy. He comes up here uh, to Jesus, uh, verse 22. And then came one of the rulers, the elders of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, in other words, Jairus seeing Jesus, uh, Jairus fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Jesus did and then a great crowd followed him and thronged about him okay let's talk about a little of this Jairus uh, Jesus shows up in the area Uh, listen everybody knew about Jesus all the talk he's the talk of the town going on Jairus comes out there uh, Jesus is there and we see from the text he publicly asked Jesus to come help what's what's the problem you tell me what's the problem what's going on for him Yeah, his daughter is dying. Okay? And we're gonna find out later his daughter is 12 years old. Remember that. How old? Okay, that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea on how old the daughter is, but it really kind of also gives you an idea where Jairus is at in his stage of life and the situation with his daughter and what's going on here. Uh, So Jairus comes up. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. Uh, Jesus uh, is there. He comes up, asks Jesus to help. And so I love this. How cool is it that Jesus said, okay, I'll go with you. And so Jesus goes with him to his daughter. Uh, Remember, there's tons of people around here. Probably everybody is asking Jesus to go with them. And yet Jesus says, okay, I'll I'll go with you. How sweet is that? And so Jesus goes. Uh, Verse 24. Uh, and he went with them and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Okay, I've the English Standard Version. The English Standard Version kind of comes out of the King James heritage, if you will. Uh so, uh thronged. But like what in the world does that mean? Uh the Greek word means this, pressed in. In other words, the crowd was so big, they're press and they're pressing in on Jesus. Who cares? No, you you'll care in just a second. The crowd is pressing in. They're thronging in on jesus okay i kind of like that word i think it's kind of cool all right so that's what's going on in the setting verse 25 and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse okay pause mark my friend really isn't there like any other kind of example you could give here awkward okay so we're gonna go at it here we go here's what's happening Jesus shows up Jairus comes his daughter is dying and he comes up to Jesus he's like please can you help my daughter is dying and Jesus is like yeah okay I'll, I'll help let's go and so they start making their way towards Jairus's daughter and in the text we find out that while they are on their way to to seeing Jairus's daughter right right that's what's happening. And then all of a sudden, uh, this woman uh, does something here. This woman shows up in the scene. And what's going on with this woman here? Well, we, we find out with this woman that uh, uh, she has a loss of blood. Uh, what's her situation? We don't know specifically, but she's got some kind of abnormal hemorrhaging. She's got some kind of menstrual disorder going on. How many years has this been happening? Twelve. <sighs> Twelve years. By the way, how's the daughter? I don't want to go into this too big, but do know this: The daughter was born when she started having problems. Uh, God is really cool, by the way. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. So here's all of a sudden this woman who's coming. Imagine the situation if you've ever had health problems for a long period of time. It's hard. And it's one thing to, our daughter's just been kind of the flu thing for the last couple of days. That's just one thing that's hard, but if it's been going on and on and on. And here the text tells us on top of this, she's been going to see doctors. <laughs> Back in that day, they didn't have too many modern techniques as we would view it today. So she's going to the doctor, and are, is any solution being found? No. In fact, the text tells us her situation has gotten worse. Uh, You sit back in this and you have to uh, just understand the, the discouragement and the hurt that this woman is going through. I mean, she's financially broke. Physically, she's just wiped out after 12 years of this. Loss of blood just leads to so many physiological issues worn out all the time. Financially broke. Everything broke. And then, on top of that, in these kind of contexts of the day, we've been to Capernaum, we've been to a couple of these areas. You got to understand, everyone knew about it. I mean, after 12 years, everyone knows about this whole situation. And and so, because everyone lives outside, we live inside. You know, we go drive in our garage, you know, that kind of thing, and we can all just live so isolated. But everyone lived outside. And, And so, everyone knew her situation after 12 years. How embarrassing. I mean, there are various things to have, but uh, I just have to say straight up on the table, there are various things to have that are, that are a hassle in her heart, but then there are some things that are just like outright embarrassing. Bless her heart. I can't even fathom. Can you imagine just the position that she must be in, just personally and mentally? But but that's also not the whole story. Because with the whole story of it, a part of the context that we don't understand in 2014 is the religious side of this. Kind of the, the social religious side of what's going on. Someday in your free time, not now, you can go to Leviticus 15 and you can read in Leviticus 15 the heading most likely at the top of the chapter is bodily discharge. Oh, I can't believe I'm talking about this. But that's what it is in Leviticus 15 it talks about all kinds of things having to do with cleanness with ritual cleanness before the Lord and the whole process of the Old Testament. So ladies, please understand what, what's being talked about here is not a sexism thing. It's just, you have to understand what God was doing in the whole Old Testament and the, in cleanliness, ritual cleanliness before the Lord. And in Leviticus 15, verse 19, it says this. It says, uh, when a woman is a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, uh, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her, shall be unclean until the evening. Two things are going on. When you're unclean, you cannot enter into the whole ritual uh, thing that's taking place. Put it this way. You can't go to church. That was kind of the setting of the day. And this is all the time for her. And if she touched anyone, if anyone touched her, it brought them, made them ritually unclean until the evening. This lady is so isolated. I just don't think I, we can fully understand. But this, just know this. Bless her heart. This is a hurting woman. And I don't mean physically hurting.
1: I mean in every way.
0: Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 26. She had suffered much and it grew worse. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Let's pause. So uh, two pieces of information here. Um, Under the law she's unclean through this and yet we find out she's been hearing reports about Jesus Uh, Reports from mark chapter 3 verse 10. It says that all were trying to touch Jesus uh, that had happened earlier and, and she's probably heard about this and uh, uh, everything that's taking place with, with the hearing of reports. Also in the day and the time, there were things that were not necessarily associated just with the Jews, but there was this mystical, this mystical healing thing. These like what you watch on TV sometimes and people are doing the boing kind of stuff, healing wacko stuff. I'm not going there today. But I'm just telling you, this is not that. Hear me? This is not that. Okay? And so what's going on here is Jesus, she hears about Jesus, and it's like, hey, if I'd been in this situation for 12 years, hurting, I'd be going after him too. But here's the interesting thing to me. Why touch his garment? I mean, honestly, I'm like, I want to get in front of his face. (laughs) I'm like, talk to me. Can I tell you what's going on so you could help me? I mean, that's what I would be thinking. I would like tackle the guy or something. If She's desperate. But I think there's, I'm going to be careful with this. So I don't want to take it too far. A little sanctified imagination maybe if I can in the scene. But why did she touch him? Partly because that was kind of some of the mystical pattern of the day. Partly because that was already happening with Jesus and people wanting to get close to him and touching that. And I think part of that is because she's a nobody and doesn't want to be known. I just want to touch him. I'm I'm, I'm an on the outskirts person anyway. I just want to touch his garment and he can heal me. Man, what a sweet woman. What a desperate woman. And yet that's her situation that's going on for her. Verse 29. Verse 28. And for she said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. That's why. She just wants to touch him. She's understanding that if she just touches him, man, I just got What faith right there? Let's keep going. Verse 29. And immediately... Okay, one more time. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she had she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, come on, you see the crowd pressing in around you, thronged around you. uh, uh, And yet you say, who touched me? Okay, let's pause. Mark is putting some important information here to understand what's happening in this whole scene and what's going on. I'm just going to put it here this way. Here's some theological terminology. Something spiritually freaky is happening. <laughs> okay? I don't know how to go into it all. And I'm not that big, you know, healer, healer service guy dude. Okay, But something unique is happening here. And know this, this is narrative. Narrative tells what happens then. Narrative, theologically, is not prescriptive. In other words, just because it happened there that way doesn't mean it happens here now this way. It's just happened that way. And yet, in this one event, this is unique from other accounts that we have because the text tells us that somehow in this, she touched it and Jesus is like, Whoa, something just happened. She's over here like, Whoa, something just happened. And Jesus is like, who touched me? Now, who touched me means that there are a lot of people touching him, right? And that's confirmed by the fact that the disciples are like, come on, dude, everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who? Because something happened, and seriously, I don't know what took place, but I'm going to let just say this from what I think may have happened. I think what happened in this, because oftentimes I, I make note of Jesus knew exactly what was happening, but he's saying it verbally so we're, we can enter in. I actually think this is one of these times where Jesus is saying exactly what's going on in him, and he's like, who touched me? And I think God the Father and the Spirit just did a work through the Son. And he's literally like, I don't know what just happened, but who touched me? Now, if I'm the woman, I'm really scared at this moment. Because I'm an out on the, out, of, out of living on the skirts kind of person. I'm low on the social totem pole. I've been hurting all my life. I just want to touch you and be anonymous. But anonymous, anonymousness has just become public. And what was intended to be a one-way transaction has now actually been a two-way transaction. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Here we go. Where are we at? What verse? Okay, thank you. Now let's go verse 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. He looked. That means he paused for a moment. Who touched me? And he's looking. Who? Who? <laughs> again if i 'm the woman i 'm like true <laughs> that's just i 'm a chicken, I admit it uh, verse thirty three but the woman knowing what had happened to her now w- what had just happened to her was that something good or bad? Good see, I think if it was a bad thing i 'd be like i 'd be ducking, but it 's a good thing it 's like something just happened. Kind of a situation. Something just happened. So, what does she do? Uh, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. How cool! This this is what just happened. This is what just happened. How sweet! I wonder what he's going to say. Verse thirty-four. And he said to her, daughter, come back to that. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's talk about a couple of these things. Daughter, it's actually more common in the Gospels. Jesus just doesn't use that term with anyone else. You just don't see that. You see, Jesus usually responded woman or, or in, in that kind of a form. Here it's daughter. Daughter, that means relationship, right? A, a certain kind of relationship, by the way. That means closeness and, and like, a, 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 mm, like a savior to a daughter. Something just happened here. And he calls her Daughter. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Faith, your faith. What is faith? And it's interesting here because the word faith right there is the same word we're going to see here in a little bit. What, what, what is faith? Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. God's in charge of the result. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it No matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. That that means that, therefore, faith is about hearing, faith is about acting, and faith is about uh, believing. And in this, that's exactly what happened with her. Uh, Please know this. This is not the kind of thing where you, you earn up enough faith and you cash your chips up, or you pass the red zone line, and now you're healed. Because if you take that view, that is now a works-oriented thing. She has not manned up enough faith and now pay, put her chips on the table. And because she earned God's favor, no, no, no. In faith she acted and in faith she believed. And God in his sovereignty for some situa- situation, for some reason with her, God healed her. Because notice there are a bunch of other people around who probably believed that Jesus could heal him and he didn't. So we're not going into a faith healing service today, just so you know. But God in his sovereignty, because of her faith, somehow there's a joint thing going on there. And and he says, your faith healed you. By the way, I love this. Go in peace. I don't think this woman has had peace for like 12 years. That statement means a lot. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Verse 35 While he was still speaking, what do you mean while he was still speaking? In other words, right while he was saying, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was saying that something else is taking place, Uh, by the way, who was with Jesus when the whole woman thing was happening? Disciples and Jairus. Think about it. You're there and you're seeing this whole situation. Two things are coming to my mind when Jesus is walking with Jairus and the other guys to Jairus' daughter. They're walking along and the lady comes up and all this starts taking place. One thought I'd be having is, can we go? <laughs> my daughter's dying. And this is serious. The other thought is in the whole event of it all, it's like, whoa, maybe I have some hope. He just healed this woman but yet while jesus in this is saying daughter your faith has made you well something else is happening right next by right nearby while he was still speaking there came from the elder's house the ruler's house uh, some who said your daughter is dead right while jesus is saying daughter your faith has healed you jesus is also hearing this conversation that just took place jairus your daughter is dead Wow, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler, this elder of the synagogue, Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Can you imagine this? Daughter, your faith has made you well. You're healed. Go in peace. Jairus, do not fear, only by faith. He's taking care of this whole thing. This is so cool with what's happening here. By the way, do not fear, only believe. That sounds like event number one in the storm. When Jesus said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you not have any faith? This is a theme threading through all of these events here. Do not fear. Only believe. By the way, uh, in this, uh, only believe. That word there in the Greek is the exact same word that's used uh, in the Greek for when he says, "Daughter, your faith, faith, believe." They're one and the same. It's the same word. It's the same thing. It's not like I believe in George Washington. It's not like I believe that the sky is going to be blue tomorrow. That's not what this is kind. Of. This is a faith belief. This is a believing in the word of God and, and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good. This is a founded faith, this is built on something, this is an action faith, this is a a strength kind of a faith that's taking place here. Uh, Your daughter is dead, and he says, do not fear, only believe, verse 37, and he, Jesus, allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, uh, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, in Jairus' house, and Jesus saw a commotion going on. So understand, there's five people plus Jesus that are in this event that's taking place. We'll see here in just a second that there's the mother, there's Jairus, there's Peter, there's James, there's John. And Jesus, and they're all going into this. And as they come into his house, they come in, there's this commotion going on. He saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. By the way, it confirms the death here. I'll tell you in just a second. Verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The Child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Let's set the scene here because we don't quite get a few things that's going on. Back in the day when this was taking place, uh, there were professional mourners. Uh, literally professional mourners. And things have gotten so out of control with the law and man expanding God's law that there are laws about when someone dies, you are required to have some professional mourners. And if you're poor, you only have two flute players. And I'm not kidding about this. Like two flute players and one professional mourner. And, and so that was just the time thing of the day. Uh, it's nothing condemning Jairus, but that's just what's going on. They knew that their daughter was about to die. Part of their obligation was confirming the death. Because listen, you don't want to be a professional mourner, mourn, weep, and wail, and then find out the person never died. I mean, you would be getting a call to Better Business Bureau on Angie's List for that kind of a thing, right? And you're in business trouble. So to them, they confirmed, listen, this girl had stopped breathing, her heart had stopped pumping, she was dead. And so they come in, and that's why they laughed at him. No, no, dude, you don't understand. We're professionals. We confirm she's dead. (laughs) Look at the way Jesus handles this right after that. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. (laughs) I'm kind of reading that that way. It's like, get out of here. Just get out of here. Uh, He put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and he went in where the child was taking her by the hand. Boy, don't you wish you were in the room? You are. You are right now. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you,
1: arise. Who can do that? Who would even think they could do that? How cruel if they could not do this.
0: How cruel to these parents that just lost their 12-year-old daughter to be playing a game like this, to be giving them a false sense of hope in their horriblest of moments. Who can do this and take you by the hand? Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, and immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was how old? Twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. I would say, <laughs> I mean, the disciples are probably like, whoa, I'm not saying a word. Last time I did, didn't work out so well. The parents are like, what? Woo! I mean, amazed, just stunned by what's taking place here. This is absolutely crazy cool with what's going on. By the way, Jesus said she's sleeping. Sleeping. Why would he say that? This is a fantastic theological truth. If you're in Jesus Christ, you need to hear this. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to hear this because you want to get in on this. Here's what's going on. Jesus is making a true theological statement, not a physiological statement. He is saying that, no, 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 from an eternal perspective, from a God perspective, when, when you die, you are not done. When you die, you are with and if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are with the Lord. Let me just read what Warren Wiersbe said. I think he sums it up so well here. To the believer, death is only sleep. For the body rests until the moment of resurrection. First Thessalonians chapter 4. He goes on to say, the spirit does not sleep. For in death, the spirit of the believer leaves the body and goes to be with Christ. James 2, Philippians 1. It is the body that sleeps, waiting, he says, the return of the Lord and the resurrection. That's 1 Corinthians 15. So, If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I don't want to go through the death part. I don't want a pain part. I just want to like, right? Right? Karen and I have already agreed on that. And <laughs> it's just, know this. Gone from here is with the Lord. And in fact, Luke chapter 8, in telling this whole account, Luke chapter 8 in this says, and her spirit returned. That's exactly what Wiersbe is talking about. That's exactly what scripture talks about. Listen, she was dead as we know it. Not like just kind of zoned out. Not, Not like in an unconscious state. She was technically dead with the Lord, if you will. And yet in it, Jesus calls back. Who can do that?
1: Who can do that?
0: Who has the authority to call life back into a person? My Savior, and if you know him, your Savior. Friends, I want for you to know, our Jesus is one bad boy. And I mean that in a right, hopefully respectful kind of a way. All power, All authority has created all things. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the second person of the Trinity. He can calm storms.
1: He can stop wind. He can tell demons to jump off a cliff.
0: He can heal a woman after man has tried to help her for years and years and years. And these four stories climax with this event of he can bring life from death. That's Jesus. That's the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And they are overcome with amazement. Are you? Let's finish the last verse. Verse forty three. This is interesting. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. Well, that's the total opposite from last week. Last week, at the beginning of chapter 5, he told the demon-possessed guy that was no longer demon-possessed, go home and tell your family what the Lord has done. Tell your friends and family. Now up here on the northwest side, he's like, don't tell anyone what's happening. Gentile territory, Jew territory. Go tell. But right now up here, In the timeline of Christ, going to the cross, it's not time to speak it. Okay, We speak it, but I just want for you to understand what's happening there in all of this. And then look at this next thing as we finish it up. This is really cool. And he told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) I love that. By the way, when, when Jesus said, come to life, arise... She didn't, uh, uh, like, lay there and be like, oh, whoa, oh, man, I still feel cruddy. Can you give me an hour? Can I kind of, like, rest for a little bit and kind of, I'm still feeling a little bit woozy. What happened? Child arise Immediately, that's why that's in the text. Immediately, she's out of bed. Not only is she back to life, but her sickness is gone. And if she's been sick for a while and about to die, that probably means she hasn't eaten very much lately. And so Jesus is just like, get her something to eat, guys. In your amazement, don't let her die again. (laughs) Okay. And So he's like, get her some food. It's just so cool. Our Savior understands. He cares for us. And yet he loves the fact that we are stunned in amazement over who he is. Four events. Four events that I think are all tied to coming out of one teaching about what real faith looks like. What real faith looks like. And then here we have these events. The storm, the demon-possessed man, the woman that's healed, and Jairus and his daughter. There's a common theme that's been going through these four. I just want to put on the table for us here. Number one, it's this. The common theme is that Jesus has authority and power. Over creation, over demons, over health, over life and death. Jesus has all power and authority. This is no regular human. This is God in the flesh. There's also been a common subject that's been taking place for all this. And it's the subject of the difference between fear and faith. I could go through, I'm not going to take the time, and through every one of these events, you can show this fear and the faith. I mean, with the storm, they had the fear of their, that they were going to die, and Jesus addresses that. Here today, in, the, in these events, we, we have this fear of a dad whose daughter's going to die, and, and we have this fear of a woman who's been in this horrible health situation for all this time, and yet fear and faith are brought in. And I can say, every one of us understand fear and faith. We all know fear. What it is to live and to not know what's beyond uh, today. And yet Jesus is pressing in, and I think Mark has gathered these four accounts together to help us press into us to understand that there is this thing of fear and faith we all struggle with. And it's like, be about faith, be about faith. Uh, A common theme, Jesus has all the power and authority, a common subject, fear and faith, and, and a common result. There's an amazement that's been going on. Let me wrap with this final one here, amazement. I'd put it this way. What's really been going on is there are people who have been impressed and there are people who are amazed. I want to decipher that out this, that way. People that are impressed. I mean, people that are impressed, it, it, it's kind of like, wow, that's awesome, that's very cool. But people that are impressed still maintain a Distance. In fact, we saw the people on the south side of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus cast out the demons from the guy and they're like, whoa, 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 please leave us. They, they certainly saw it. They were, maybe we could say a small a amazed or they were impressed with what happened, but it, it led to distance from. When a person is impressed, living by faith becomes an option. An impressed with Jesus person comes in contact with the same information, but the result is that they are not looking different in life. There is not lived out difference in their life. They are impressed, but they are not changed. But I would argue that as you see these four stories, what Mark is trying to help us see is what a soil number four person looks like. Someone who comes in contact with the truth and the work of Jesus Christ and is so utterly amazed that their life is completely changed forever. Not in an event, but forever. Amazed people are overtaken with amazement. They are overtaken by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and they think it through. Living by faith is a natural outcome of that. He's the authority. He's the power, not me. I live in submission, therefore, to him. It's not about me. A person who is living amazed in Jesus Christ, their life looks different and life is lived different. Which describes you? Impressed with Jesus leads to maintaining distance from Jesus. I'm impressed with him, but I want to stay here at a distance from him. I want to stay at a distance until it becomes convenient for me as I interpret it, and then I'll invite him in. No, 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 that's distance. I'll decide it's fitting and important when he can come in. Jesus is more about me than me about Jesus. That's being impressed with Jesus. There's no face down. For real. There's no lasting falling before in submission. And giving up self for him fully. There's always a level of distance. Impressed with people, Jesus, are soil one, two, and three people. But amazed with Jesus, people press into him. They press into him because they want to be with him more. They want to know him more. They want to please him more. They want to live for him more. They're not perfect. And it's not necessarily every moment, every day, but they're full in. On the whole of it, they're pressing in. Their life is about being looking different so that the one who has the power and authority would be glorified and not them. It's not about what other people do wrong. It's about what I do wrong and how I can make my life right before the Lord. It's I want to be on the field playing on his team, not I want to sit up in the bleachers and watch the game from a distance. You know, when you go to a game, everybody says, if you're going on a Lucas Oil and go to the game yesterday or whatever, everybody who's in the stadium says they were at the game but only the guys on the field playing in the game were the guys who were close and up front. Everybody else is held at a distance and spectators. Impressed, but
1: distant. Are you
0: impressed with Jesus and distant? Or are you amazed with Jesus? And does pressing into him characterize you? the last two lines on your sermon notes page, does distance with Jesus describe my life? Or does pressing into Jesus
1: describe my life? Seriously. Does distance with Jesus describe you?
0: Or does pressing in with Jesus describe you? If you've been impressed with Jesus and you've never come to the place where you've come to know him as your Savior, let me put it this way. If you've been dating Jesus, it's time to make a covenant vow
1: because you're not married,
0: you're just dating. And Jesus says, as many as received me, uh, to them he gave eternal life. Have you come to that place where you've made a covenant vow commitment and you've driven the stake in the ground and received Jesus Christ as your Lord? If you've not, you need to do that. You need to enter in. You need to press into relationship with him. And if you've done that, maybe you're at the place like the prodigal son. One of the things that describes the prodigal son is distance from his father. What did the prodigal son need to do? He needed to realize the distance and he needed to humbly come back and repent before the father of his distance. And by the way, what did the father do? He came running after. Come back. Reduce the distance. You're my son. You're my daughter.
1: Impressed? Are you living? Or amazed with?
0: Are you living? Lord, thank you so much for these four accounts that you've given to us. Father, I would just pray this. I pray that these amazing accounts, (laughs) in light of the song we're about to sing, God, I would praise that the theme that would be going right now in our hearts is lay me down before you. Lord, I pray for the person who maybe is, who's been, as I said, dating you, playing around with you, learning more about you, and maybe even sincerely intently, but, and has been questioning whether it's time to, to step in, to drive the stake and to make that covenant commitment. Oh God, I would pray that today would be the day they would admit their sinfulness and their depravity before a holy God and their need of a savior and that they would lay their life down before you and receive you as their savior. God, if they need to talk with someone, come and talk with me, talk with one of us. Oh God, would you work to do that? And Lord, I pray for those who know Christ, who are yours, who are daughters, who are sons of yours. God, maybe as we look back in the last week, the last weeks or months, maybe distance is the defining word of the relationship with you. God, I pray. I pray return, repent, And restored. I pray lay ourselves down before you. And God I pray for the person who is pressing in. Who is pressing into you and seeing you doing a work. Oh God I pray they continue to lay themselves down. In joy and amazement before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. More amazement with you, Lord, I pray. More amazement with you, I pray. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.